Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Canberra Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, we are joined by James Dollar, who's the head of brand at Pure Sport. In this conversation, expect to learn about James's background in his sporting exploits and fitness, his education, and his journey into his current career as a marketer in the fitness industry. As part of this discussion, we cover important points around career progression, finding purpose in what you do, and identifying how your skill set can add value, even when initially you're not overly confident of what that skill set might be. We learn how James got involved with Knocko as it grew its presence within the UK, the biggest challenge he faced in that role, and how he built a brand in a new country, and the biggest win that he had during his time at Knocko. Given James has recently moved across to Pure Sport in recent months, this is a great conversation about changing job, how that decision process works, and the role that your network can play in shaping the opportunities that open up to you throughout your career. Finally, given James is a bit of an athlete, we dive into his fundraising efforts from November last year and the role of the mind versus the body in some of the extreme challenges that you can take part in to support these causes. Today's podcast is brought to you by Factory Weights. I'm pleased to continue to be working with Factory Weights who provide high quality gym equipment, whether you're training at home, training in a studio, or just wanting access to a few bits and pieces to help you with your prehab or your rehab. They have a wide range of barbells, kettlebells, plates, dumbbells, resistance bands, and a lot, lot more. Everyone that's been following me on Instagram will have seen some of the Monday Madness workouts that I've gone through at their video shoots. So the equipment has been through a thorough test before it reaches the public. You can save on Factory Weights with the code CALL10 and the link in the bio will be factoryweights.co.uk. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to say 85 episodes in feels like a little bit of a milestone. We are fast chasing down the 100. So if you are new here, hit the subscribe button. Or if you're a regular listener and you're not already subscribed, then please do so as well. So you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. We're continuing to grow. We're continuing to have great quality guests like James. And I'm so, so pleased with the direction the podcast is going. If you can take the time to share this episode or any other episode that you've previously enjoyed with a friend. That is how we grow the audience and get to where we want to go towards. But without any more from me, let's get into this one with James Dollar. Welcome back to Cambro Conversations. And today's conversation, I am joined by James Dollar of Pure Sport CBD. James, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I feel honored to be a guest. <laughs> Delighted to have you on. And you're such a modest guy when we were getting this arranged. You were like, I'm not nearly as interesting as the other people that people would tag to get on the podcast. I think it was Craig Ritchie or uh, Baju or something like that when I asked people, who do you want on after episode 80? And you were one of the people, James, but you, you were kind of a bit self-depreciating when I when I extended the invite. Yeah, I'm, I do think of myself as really boring. Like I, tr- I applied for SAS Who Dares Wins a couple of years ago and they were like, look, your application's really good, but like you would just be like a normal guy that would just apply for the Marines. We haven't got anything to like, you haven't got a, a story that we can tell about you to make good TV. And I was like, yeah, actually I'm proper boring, aren't I? Got nothing good going on i find that quite funny i don't know if um like i don't really watch love island if i'm honest but the people that i know that have been on it chris williamson and my friend wallace wilson they didn't get masses of airtime because they're actually just too normal to actually <laughs> do well they're not what they're not what they're looking for they're not somebody that's got a story like you said or somebody that 
will go a bit mad on camera and throw glasses about or like push another guy and argue with the girls. Yeah, yeah. I feel like to make good TV, you need something, something about you. You're just like a robot. <laughs> it's not going to make good TV. <laughs> you could be really, really good at the challenges on the SAS Who Dares wins, but unless you're like causing a bit of drama, then it's not, it's not the Hollywood shots they need. Yeah, I think a uh, pure sport, Dan calls me the grey man. And I think that's what they do on SAS Who Dares Wins. It's just like the guy that no one really notices. It just kind of gets the stuff done that needs to be done and doesn't kind of stand out like a sore thumb. And I was like, yeah, I think that is me. I just kind of hide in the shadows. No one really knows who I am or what I do. I don't even know what I do, to be honest. <laughs> Hopefully we'll keep, we can come to a few answers as we go through this in terms of what you do, because I certainly find it find it interesting but like I said before we hit record I like to understand from my guests like where they've come from what their background is and how they end up in the position that they they are in today so we'd love to know a little bit more James in terms of like who you were growing up what you did for for education and that kind of thing uh okay how far do you want to go back like early years let's go back to school early years yeah rewind okay yeah so um I was kind of that kid that would just play every single sport I think it was a passion of mine to just kind of do anything and everything. If there was a ball, if it was just some sort of activity, I just had to be doing it. And I think it was very much encouraged by my parents as well. They were just like, right, what sports do you want to do? And they would kind of take me to those. And pretty much every single day of the week, I would be doing some sort of sport, whether it was say football on a Monday or I'd have swimming on a Wednesday or judo. Sometimes I'd have, I played for two football teams growing up and I'd play for one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And then my mum's Welsh and she's like super keen for rugby. And she was like, I think you should play rugby. I was like, not, not interested in rugby whatsoever. I was like football, diehard football. And then she used to take me to training, rugby training on a Sunday morning. And then I'd go to the football match for my club on the Sunday afternoon. And I'd turn up muddy and the coach would be like, where have you been? And I'd be like, oh no, it's all good. Like just, I'm just rolling around before I came here. So I was that kid that just like had to do every single sport. And I played most of them at like a reasonable level, you know, like I swam um, in quite a few like galas and like uh, more local ones than like any national ones. Football, like we went up to um, like Reading Schoolboys, which was quite a big deal back then. Um, and then judo, you know, like I was a slightly bigger kid. So judo was one of those sports that I kind of found uh, suited me quite well because I could just manhandle all the other kids and land on them and make them cry. Um, but yeah, then from there, um, football kind of died off and I kind of, I, I started to enjoy rugby a little bit more. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll just give up football and start playing rugby. And then I, uh, I got noticed by somebody, um, I started playing for my county. I'd only been playing a few months and I went to these county trials and they said, yeah, like you're pretty decent. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just running around. They'd be like, oh, run this particular move. I was like, bro, I don't know what that is. I'm just running around like a headless chicken, catching and passing and tackling anyone else that moves. So um, the school that I went to uh, like recognized that and they said, like, here's a, a scholarship to come and play rugby for the school. So I went there and then that was like, when I just found like the place I wanted to be, like a lot of people go through school and they're like, I hate school. Whereas I, absolutely love school you're basically just hanging out with your mates all day every day like it was a boarding school so I was with them literally all day every day didn't have to think about anything apart from uh, my studies and sport basically that was all I had to think about didn't have to worry about washing up didn't have to worry about what I was going to eat all of that was provided and it was just 
the best experience and it, I think is what's what like where I'm at now is because of the school that I went to like the people that you meet and the the kind of things that you do and the sports that you learn and that kind of stuff like it yeah it was probably the best experience for me um so then after that um I went to university I, t- I took a year out from school before I went to university just because I was like I just want to earn some money before I went to uni I don't want to be one of those students that is broken living off bread and beans five days a week i didn't want to be that guy that so i went away no um, either if bread and beans no use for the no use for the rig exactly yes yeah. so when i was at school actually they said right you need to go to the gym because um you need to get like put on some muscle for rugby and i was like nah that's gonna make me slow i was like i don't want to i don't want to go to the gym because i thought that i was gonna get like heavy and slow um and what actually happened is I went to the gym and I was like, actually, I'll probably prefer this to playing rugby. So um, when I came out of, of school, it was like, right, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm just going to do chest and arms. And I'd be like, I would speak to the trainer then. I'd be like, you know, those like little Vs that you get down by your hips. How do I get those? I was like trying to figure out, like reading, reading all the men's health articles and stuff like this. So it's probably no use. But I kind of just fell in love with, with the training side of things. Um, and then when I was at school, I only put down one application for where I wanted to go to university. Um, At the time, there was only one university that did strength and conditioning. Um, So I said, right, I'm going to apply for this one. And my teacher was like, well, maybe you should uh, apply for a few more just in case you don't get in. And I was like, well, no, like I don't want to do anything else. So it was just like, either I get this or I don't. So luckily I got into um, St. Mary's and studied strength and conditioning. And they really like lure you in with that first semester we had four days a week which were in the gym learning how to weightlift and how to like basically how to lift your yourself you weren't teaching people you were learning how to do the lifts yourself and then one day on the track learning like sprint mechanics and stuff like this so for a whole semester my lectures were in a gym or on a track and at the end of that semester you got uh, an assessment your exam was a weightlifting competition and you basically got assessed on how much weight you lifted and your technique and i was like this is amazing this is this is what I want to do. And then second semester, they're like, right, biomechanics, muscle physiology. And then everyone was like, oh, actually, this is actually really, really hard. Um, so yeah, I went through uni, did um, strength and conditioning. And while I was there, I kind of PT'd on the side because it's one of those things you could just slot in around your studies if you need to. Um, going through uni, I thought, do you know what? This isn't what I want to do. Like, I do enjoy doing it and I do enjoy the training side of things, but to the actually like the coaching side of things. And I feel like, unless you're at the very top of the strength and conditioning coaches um, hierarchy, I don't think, I personally don't think there's a lot of money in it. And a lot of people were doing, you know, like a whole year unpaid internships at clubs. And because people were doing that, that was kind of the expected thing. I thought look, you know, like I've done three years at uni, I don't need to do a year of unpaid with the knowledge that I've got. I don't need to do a year of unpaid internships. I could just go and be a PT somewhere and earn reasonable money. So I did that just kind of PT'd on the side. And then when I came out of uni, I did that as well. Um, and then there was, there was a day I was, how do I get into this CrossFit? Uh, but so basically, do you, you know, in the, the Metcons, the original Metcons. Yeah. So I was obviously at uni doing strength and conditioning and they were like, right, you have to wear weightlifting shoes and everyone wore weightlifting shoes, you know, with the raised heel, like the Olympic lifting shoes. And they would wear them for everything. They were doing bench press and like weightlifting shoes I hate, like, I really despised weightlifting shoes. I didn't like having a raised heel. I liked to be on a flat shoe. And I was like, I just need something. And at the time, there wasn't really anything. There was um, 
like running shoes or there was weightlifting shoes. There wasn't something that you could kind of do both in. So I Googled it and I found there was this thing. They hadn't launched it yet. This was like back in uh, maybe October 2014, something like that. So I found this shoe and I was, it was the Nike Metcon. They hadn't launched it yet. They hadn't called it anything. So I found it and I posted it on my Twitter. This is how long ago it was when everyone was on Twitter. I don't know if you're still on Twitter, but I'm certainly not. And I don't oh, think no. many people are. Um, I posted it on there. I didn't tag Nike or anything like that. I didn't say anything. I just posted it and said, these, these shoes are sick. Like these are, these are exactly what I want, what I've been wanting for ages. And then about three months later, I get a message from the Nike Twitter, like the official one, like their main one being like, oh, hey, James, like we've selected you. Come meet us in this hotel in Shoreditch. And I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> this sounds a bit dodgy. Like I feel like their account's been hacked and they're trying to get people and they're just going to like mug them or something like that. So <laughs> I thought, well, okay. So I messaged a few of the other lads. So they messaged me and seven other lads. Um, I think it was four from the U S and then four from the UK. And I messaged some of them and said, Oh, like, are you going to go to this thing? Like, it's pretty, it sounds pretty cool, but I don't know if it's legit. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go. So we, I turned up to this hotel in Shoreditch and met the other lad that I'd spoken to. And we thought, oh, yeah, if we're going together, it's kind of safety and numbers. And so then good guys can handle any kidnappers. Exactly. Whatever comes at us, one of us can get away basically. So, and I think I was slightly bigger than him. So I think I'd get away. I'd push him into the, into the middle of it. Um, so yeah, we went up, went upstairs to this boardroom and they said, oh, this is the, we're going to do this thing. It's called Nike training at the time. CrossFit was linked with, um, Reebok. So they couldn't do anything directly with CrossFit. So they said, oh, we're going to do this called Nike training. And they said, we've selected you eight guys to be like our first ambassadors. And I was like, are you taking the piss? Like, I don't even know what CrossFit is. I haven't even done it. And I was like, and I was really like shocked. I was like, well, how have you found who I am and what I do? And they're like, oh, we just, I've been watching your Twitter for like a few months. We saw you posted that shoe. So we've just been watching your Twitter. We really like what you do. And we thought we'd invite you to this thing. So I was like, okay, cool. So they had, um, CJ Martin from CrossFit Invictus. He was like one of the coaches. They had Matt Fraser. They had Josh Bridges and they turned up and they were like, oh, these are these guys. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, who are you? Who are you midgets? Like, I just don't know who you are. You're no one to me. Like I had no idea who these guys were. And then we went to a gym and then we started training. Um, and I think they did like thrusters and rope climbs. And I was like, oh shit, these guys are actually like weapons. <laughs> these guys, how are you that much stronger than I am? And you're that much smaller. And then you're that much fitter than me. And then we went to another gym and we did these um, Fran intervals. So like Fran is the, the pull-ups and the thrusters. And I said to CJ, I was like, well, I'm just going to do like strict pull-ups. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. And then everyone started doing like butterfly, butter, well, like butterfly pull-ups. What the hell is this? What, is this? <laughs> what are these guys doing? Like flailing around on this pull-up bar. And then I thought, oh, this looks quite cool, actually. Like, how can I give this a go? And I met um, a lad from a local box in Twickenham. And he was like, yeah, come down to, down to CrossFit. And then I just kind of went down, did an open workout in like 2015. And I just fell in love because it was that competitive side of sport that I'd done growing up. But it was the gym. So I wasn't playing sport at the time. It was like, basically CrossFit is who's the best at going to the gym. So then I just kind of was like, yeah, this is, this is for me. Like, I really actually really enjoy this, even though for the last like three years at university, I'd heard of CrossFit and I was like, nah, it's stupid. Like CrossFit's the devil. So now I was like a full convert and I was like, no, this is, this is actually really, really good. I think so, yeah. you mentioned your rugby and your football background, probably your desire to be within a team environment. CrossFit yeah. really ticks that box as well, rather than just a individual pursuit of can I, 
add some more lifts into my onto my uh, add some more reps onto my squat when I'm using these weightlifting shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I went off on a bit of tangent there, but where I was going with that with the whole CrossFit thing was, um, I like started doing a bit of CrossFit coaching on the side, and then one of my friends said to me, they were like, oh well. I've got a friend in, who's got a box in um, Sydney. They're looking for a CrossFit coach. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And she was like, oh, if you're, if you're serious, like I'll, I'll put you in contact with them. And I was like, yeah, go on then. And then I think on the Monday, this was like a Saturday afternoon, the Monday I had a call with them and said, look, I'm keen to come over and coach out there. So I found two gyms out there that were going to take on um, some coaches. And I just quit the job that I was doing, sold everything. And then like within a month, I'd moved to Sydney um and just kind of bummed around did a bit of coaching out there just absolutely love the lifestyle if i could move there and live there forever i would but like the friends and family living over here is just too far away to 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 make it a thing to do you know um and then i came back from from traveling and i was like right i've got no money i've been traveling now for probably like nearly 18 months i've been going from like beach to beach having like acai bowls here there and everywhere and then I was like well, I've actually got no money so I need a job so I rang up one of my friends um who used to work with me in a previous job and he'd moved to Red Bull so I was just fascinated with brands and why people pick up a particular brand and why people align themselves with certain brands I didn't understand it you know why would people pick up a bottle of Evian versus a bottle of Fiji water versus a bottle of Voss do you know what I mean they all do the same thing they all taste pretty much the same I understand with clothes and stuff it's like it's slightly different but with like water like why do people pick up that so I was like who's like a really cool brand that I'd like to work for and understand and I thought well Red Bull is like probably the best one probably the best known brand and coolest brand so I rang him up and he said, yeah, there's, I could give you a job here, but you know, like, it's just, you'd be one of many, many people. And he said, I'll put you in contact with, um, another brand that they're basically Red Bull, but they're more in like the fitness world. And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. And that was Noco. So then, um, I spoke to them and they said, yeah, like, we'll give you a job. And I was like, okay, like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll come in. So I started in the, in the sales team. It was just like, maybe there's about six or seven of us at the start. Um, there was like an MD head of marketing, a couple of people in sales. So I went into sales just to look after London. And after a little while, they were like, actually, we think you'd be better off doing this marketing role. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll be honest. I don't understand what marketing is. I have no idea what you're going to be asking me to do, but I'll do it. I was like, yeah, I don't care. Like, this is probably the route that I want to go. I want to move into like more of a marketing role to understand brands. And I came in on the Monday and I was like, right. <laughs> what am I doing? Like sat there twiddling my thumbs and they were like, oh, here's the Instagram handle. Like this is the logins for the Instagram. Da, 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 da. And then it was pretty much from there. It was just kind of throw yourself in the deep end and learn how to be a, a marketing activation manager, which I actually Googled on the way home because I didn't know what it was. New job title, new, uh, new world for you to dive into. On the, yeah. on the sales role at Knuckle, were you selling into gyms and retailers or what was the role? Yeah, so... Um, because it was such a small team there, it was kind of like, you just did everything. So technically I started in sales and I would go around to gyms at the time. Noco wasn't really anywhere. It only been in the UK properly for maybe three or four months. Like, I think I started at the back end of March, I think. And I think it had literally become a UK company maybe just before Christmas. So it wasn't really everywhere like it is now, you know, like you go to the majority of gyms, especially CrossFit gyms and 
knockover is just like you just expect it to be there whereas when i started like no one knew what it was so i was going in being like oh hey guys we're this like swedish brand um it's knocko and i was also doing bear bells at the time because it was like knocko and bear bells and i was being like oh, i'd leave them some samples i'd chat to them i talked to them about the products and stuff like that and then i'd like follow them up and see if they wanted to stock it in their gym and that was it really there was like myself and a, a girl called lauren calvert who were like the the field sales reps she was looking after the north and then i was kind of looking after london and that was it just going out chatting to people trying to sell our product into this into this thing and the reason they said the they think I'd be better in a marketing role is because they said the way that I was trying to sell products into gyms and what I was doing was more marketing than sales anyway. So they just said that they think I'll be better to do it as a marketing role rather than the sales role. Yeah. They could see your understanding of the brand and what you were trying to do with it. And then just apply that in a different sector where you would likely drive more results for them. Yeah. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing what I thought was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. There was no there was no thought process behind it. It was just like, right, how am I gonna get these people to buy this drink? And what I did, obviously, they were like, Well, actually, that's more marketing than it is sales. Yeah, of course. It's really interesting how we end up in these careers post university. And I suppose your background in fitness probably made you an even better candidate for Noco than for Red Bull as well, particularly given that you'd been just one of many within Red Bull. They're probably quite established, they probably have lots of people knocking down the door and for all you are a credible guy and a good candidate you're probably more credible in the fitness space based on your interest and your passions you could probably speak to gym owners for for hours about whatever but just based on your understanding of what 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 their challenges what their benefits are within their gym yeah and that was the thing like you'd go into a, a gym and you would chat to the gym owner and you'd be like right i'm gonna need to make you know like 12 calls today i need to drop into 12 different gyms to talk to them and try and sell this product into there but you would go in and you would like, I like chatting to people and that's kind of the nature of my job now is chatting to people. And I'd be in there for an hour chatting to this one bloke and building rapport with him. And like, that was how I would sell products that I would go in, I would build rapport with that person. They would, you know, like I find a common interest, talk to them about that kind of thing. And then eventually they'll be like, oh, actually, yeah, I'm going to buy your products because he's a nice guy. So, um, yeah, sometimes I didn't get as many calls done in the day as I wanted because I would be spending too long, like making a friend and like making them a friend of the brand and that kind of thing. So um, in hindsight, probably wasn't going to be the best salesman, but, you know, it came off the back of it as someone who does marketing now. Yeah, it's so funny how we pivot and we move during these things. And I've heard you say before that you were almost, you almost became Mr. Knockle. And I don't know if that was a self-appointed title. I don't think it was, but it, that was that was how I first heard of you anyway, James. And I wonder from a career perspective, what did you see as the benefits of becoming like the face of the brand in the UK? Because like you say, it was just new to the UK, but for a lot of people who started to purchase Knockle like gyms or other um, retailers, you were the face of it, you were the front of it. And there was a lot of personality there, like you say, because you'd built these relationships. How did you find that from a career perspective? Was it quite fulfilling for you? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't. So there was an original Mr. Nocco, who was the guy that was in Sweden, a guy called Linus, who um, I kind of learned a lot from. So obviously like Nocco originated in Sweden, it grew and it grew and it grew and it was a huge company out there. And there was the equivalent of me in Sweden. And obviously the brand was a lot bigger. The country was a lot smaller. So he had this like huge presence as like Mr. Nocco in Sweden. So I very much looked up to him and I was like, cool, like he's Mr. Nocco in Sweden. How do I replicate that in the UK? So it wasn't something that 
um, it wasn't a title that I kind of requested. Do you know what I mean? It was just kind of, that's just naturally what happened. Um, and I honestly have so much thanks to Noco because it was, you know, like a platform and a brand that's got me to where I'm at now. And if it wasn't for them, you know, just taking a chance on me because they just said, look, we think you're the right person to do this job, even though you've got zero experience, um, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't have the network of people that I know and, you know, the experience that I have, even if I don't think that I have a lot of experience, you know, I've done that job for you know, like three to four years now. I do have a little bit of experience and I kind of get into grips with that being like, oh no, like these things that I just take for granted that I've learned over the years is actually really valuable to pass on to other people. And that's something that we're doing at Pure Sport now is, you know, like we're bringing in a few people who are kind of new to what we do and then what I take for granted and have done for years, I speak to them about it and they're like, oh, that's actually a really valuable thing. Like I didn't think about it that way. And I'm just like, oh, right. Yeah, that's actually quite good information that I could probably pass on to someone else. So yeah, honestly, having the last um, three years at Noco is probably the most valuable thing in the career perspective, uh, career perspective that, you know, could ever have happened. Yeah, it's that it's the fact that you learned at the cold face and they gave you the ability to do that makes you now a valuable asset, even if you've joked there like, oh, you almost don't recognize that you have information that other people would value. But then when you have these conversations, you they they're giving you feedback like, oh, James, that was really interesting. Like, I hadn't thought of that. And you're like, oh, well, maybe I do know this this marketing mm-hmm. gig better better than I thought. But that's because you've done it. Like you've actually had I hate these phrases sometimes, but like skin in the game, you've done time under tension, you have learned at like at the very forefront of it. And it's like you've gone through that live training and it's almost like you're now match fit to be able to deliver in that space. Mm-hmm. And that's why a company like Pure Sport would like want to hire you and bring you in because you've got that experience of actually doing it rather than just maybe a, a BA in marketing from a university and then fresh out in there into the world and been like, right, okay, I know all about marketing. Let's go. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. There's there's so many people that I've learned from in that time, just kind of picking up bits. What did this person do? What did this brand do? And we had um, uh, a lady called Carlotta who was like country marketing manager for Noco and Bear Bells. I learned an awful lot from her. Um, there was obviously the guys in Sweden, the, the marketing team in Sweden, learned heaps from those as well. And it's just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to get all these bits of information, bring them together and then do what I think is the best thing to do. And even like talking to the athletes that we worked with and they would work with the likes of a Gymshark or they'd work with a PhD. And I'd ask them directly and be like, oh, how do they, how do they do things with you? How do they do things with you? And then I was like, okay, that's a good idea. I'm going to take that one and that one and that one. I kind of pieced it all together and then just kind of created what I wanted to do and then played on what were my strengths and how can I utilize what these people are telling me to kind of grow this brand? Yeah, that's really interesting. That willingness to learn from others, like what best practice looks like, because it can be quite easy to be dogmatic. But I think with the background you were coming into the space with, you were less likely to be like, oh, this is how our affiliate marketing team is going to work. This is how our, our brand promotion is going to work. Because I read this textbook at university that tells you how to do it. You were more like, well, what did Gymshark do? What do phd do what's their structure okay i like the idea of that i like the idea of that not so sure that'll work for us depending on what scale you're working on and then you can start to to enact it in practice what was the Mm -hmm. what was the biggest challenge you faced starting in a job where maybe there was an element of 
you, like you say, you had to Google the job title before you before you started. What was the biggest challenge you faced in those initial months? Um, time management. Like, yeah, like I really struggled with that because it was gone from uh, a sales job, which would usually be like a nine to five. You'd get out, you'd start your calls, you know, like around nine o'clock. Most people work a business day from nine to five. Whereas when it's marketing, there's always something you can be doing. So when it's like, I think when it was sales or if you're doing a nine to five, people stop replying to you after like five o'clock with gyms, it's obviously slightly different because, you know, gyms are open later, but normally like people would start work at nine and finish at five. Whereas when it was marketing, you can always be doing something. Social media does not sleep. So it doesn't matter if it's Sunday, it doesn't matter if it's your birthday, it doesn't matter if it's Christmas day, people are still messaging in on social media. And for me, that was a big thing. Like I wanted to reply to everybody, make sure that everyone kind of was appreciated that they would message and they would tag the brand and that regardless of what the day was and that was for me that was the big thing you know like i haven't learned don't get me wrong like it's still like that now however i'm very aware of it but at the start it was like all day every day was just constantly on my phone talking to people replying to instagram dms and no one knows it who, who it is behind on the instagram dms but it was like that was what you did um, and there was days when you just didn't want to do it. You were just like, you know, like you'd be hung over or something like that. And you'd be like, I don't want to do this, but you have to, like, if you want to grow this brand and make the brand one that people want to buy their products, you need to reply to these things. So that was for me, that was a big thing, like my time management and my people, that, the people that were close around me noticed it straight away. They were just like, there's some days that you, you just weren't present because your mind would be somewhere else. You'd be like thinking about, okay, what's the post going to be tomorrow? Or, you know, like, oh, I haven't replied to some DMs for eight hours, something like this. And they were like, you just weren't present when I was with people. And it wasn't for a little while until people actually started telling me that. They were like, you need to like switch off. You need to have this time away from, from work. That was probably the biggest challenge for me because I was just like, nah, like I really enjoy what I do. It's not, it wasn't never a chore. It was just like, I really enjoy what I do. Some days were harder than others, but someone was actively telling me being like, no, you need time to like switch off. You need to have, you know, like a day off or something like that. There was even days like I would go on holiday for two weeks and I'd still do the DMs. I'd be in Spain and I'd be there on the side of the pool still doing the DMs and stuff like that. So yeah, that was a challenge, but it wasn't like a bad challenge. It was just something that I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that was actually a tough time. You were consumed, but consumed with something that you quite enjoyed doing which is, is quite a funny position to be in because you wanted to, you're being told to maybe take your foot off the gas and rest but it's kind of feeling like you're constantly progressing because inbox zero is is such a nice thing to have isn't it and something to work yeah. towards but it's almost impossible i think if you're if you're managing a, a busy busy uh in instagram you said mm -hmm. that you you haven't learned and you still have like challenges with staying on the phone and um like keeping up with the dms at, at, at pure sport now is there any strategies you have to manage this to help you switch off and give you longevity in this game? Uh, sharing the load is, is a big one. Okay. So uh, at Noco, it got to the point where we brought on um, someone who came into like a, an events role. And then there was an, an intern we had for a couple of years, two different interns, and we kind of shared the load between us. It was just like, right, if I'm going to be, because there was days when I'd be at an event for three days back to back, you know, like it'd be an event Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I'm also trying to do the messages and stuff like that. And it was just like, it was impossible. I can't be doing two things at once. I can't be at an event 
you know, setting up and taking stuff down and then also replying to the DMs. I just don't have the, the time to do it. So sharing that load between a fair few people. And I found, I did find it really, really difficult at the start to kind of hand over some responsibility to someone else because it was like, no, like I've done this for so long and I've done it in the way that I want it to be done. And I really, really struggled whether it was handing over an event to somebody or whether it was handing over the inbox anything like that. I did really struggle with it to begin with. And someone just said to me, they're like, no, just like, let it go. And if they, if they fuck it up, speak to them and be like, nope, that's not how we do things. This is how we do things. And they said, it's going to happen. Like not everyone's going to get everything right straight away, but it's kind of a learning thing. And it was probably the same when I started, I didn't get everything right straight away, but because it was very much like our, our team was so small, it wasn't really noticed. Whereas as the team gets bigger, those mistakes are noticed by other people. Yeah, magnified. That's really interesting, that kind of piece of like, I've built this and I want to make sure it continues to run well. So it's kind of hard to let go. I think you see that a lot with entrepreneurs, but I'm sure it happens within businesses where somebody kind of grow, grows a, a division or a section like, like a lot through their own work and they're like, God, I really want to run close to this or outsource any of this. And there's probably lots of things that you could have outsourced that you could put your time into something maybe more valuable than doing absolutely every single task. Yeah. Yeah, I did really struggle. And I, I do kind of struggle with it a little bit now, but less so now because I've already been through it with Noco and I did have to hand over some responsibility to someone else. Yeah, I'm a little bit less kind of kind of holding on to stuff now. I kind of let things go. And then if they make a mistake, they make a mistake, but it's all good. Sometimes they do things and they do things better than I could have done it. And then I'm like, oh, well, okay, cool. Like I'm going to learn from you because you've actually done something, either it's more efficient or it was a better quality. So I've learned from that as well, being like, oh, actually, you know, that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is you can learn from everybody, regardless of who they are, someone can teach you something new. So regardless if they're brand new to the role, they could be coming in with a completely different perspective and it's not clouded by two or three years of, oh, this is how we do things. They could come in and say, oh, actually, no, have you tried it this way? And then it's like, oh, well, that makes the whole business better. Yeah. Is that why you like working at almost, I want to call it young businesses? Uh. Yeah, I guess so, because everyone's kind of on the same wavelength. I, I worked for a job um, before I went to Australia and I was kind of like, I really didn't enjoy what I was doing. I wasn't, I didn't have a passion for it. Don't get me wrong. It was kind of in the sports nutrition sector and it was, it was quite cool. And I did have a passion for sports nutrition, but it was kind of like no one was progressing the business forward. There was no kind of forward thinking. So it's just very stagnant. And yeah, I didn't really enjoy my time there and I never wanted to be in that position again where I was just doing the job for the sake of doing the job yeah what was your biggest win at knuckle before you moved on um for me it was probably as a, as a team for like the brand overall I think it was um when strength and depth became a sanctional event for me I think that was like we really really pushed it and said like this I think we should do this so um, Ollie Mansbridge, who is the, the owner of Strength and Depth, I did his competitions, you know, like his original one down in Bath, the 12 person competition. Um, and I kind of I used to go down to Bath. I've seen him a couple of times and I kind of like, we were friends, but not like close friends. We kind of knew who each other were and we bumped into each other at the competition. He was like, oh, well, you know, like I've got this, um, this sanctional thing. It was when CrossFit was going through this like weird transitional from regionals to sanctionals and no one really knew what was going on. And it was the first year that it was going to happen. And he was like, oh, I've been asked to do a sanctional event. Knocko at that time was growing within CrossFit. It was, it was fairly established. And he said, do you want to be like a, a sponsor 
of it. And up to this point, we'd only done like real local competitions and things like this. And I was like, yeah, we're like, we could do this, but it was such a big event. It would have to be such an investment into this one competition. And the feedback was being like, obviously coming from everything we did would filter back through to the head office in Sweden. And they were a bit like, do you think this is the right thing to do? And yeah, we just like, yeah, we think this is that this is the right thing to do at the right time. And it was just a chance. Like it could have gone really wrong and we could have done put all this investment into this one competition. It could have gone terribly wrong. We wouldn't have got the exposure that we wanted to do. Um, and then about a month or so after that, we were planning on launching in the US and obviously CrossFit is so big in the US and it got streamed worldwide but obviously everyone in the us saw strength in depth and knocko was so present there in terms of like the branding everyone in the us were like what is this knocko thing like what is it how do i get hold of it and it was like oh funny you should ask that we're just about to launch knocko in the us like so we we kind of like built this hype around something and then it was just like it was just the perfect timing with the time that strength in depth was and the time that it was planned to launch in the us and for me, I think that was our biggest win that we really solid, um, solidified the, the relationship between Noco and CrossFit and how the two things align. And it was like, if you do CrossFit, then you drink Noco. And that was kind of how it went, basically. So for me, that was probably one of my biggest wins. Yeah, amazing, James. And it's, it's the fact that you got buy-in internally to support you with something as big as that, while also getting that external reward and that metric of increasing your brand awareness in a new territory. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that you had that relationship with somebody that was hosting that kind of event and they trusted you to be a, to be a sponsor on it. And then you brought everything together to, to, to make it happen. So I mentioned earlier just there that it seems that you quite like working at young companies because they are quite fast moving they're quite fast paced, but also they have the ability for, significant periods of growth which i think it seems like gives you a lot of fulfillment what mm. drove you to take the step to to join pure sport cbd um so probably probably about it feels like it wasn't that long ago but it was probably the beginning of 2020 i think it was pre-lockdown um one of the the sales guys that worked at knocko is an ex-rugby player and he knew grayson who's obviously an ex-rugby player. They're both in the kind of that, that rugby sphere. Um, and he asked him, he said, look, I really like what Noko do. He was like, can I speak to someone about, you know, like how they, how he grows the brand. So I got in contact, uh, Grayson got in contact with me and we jumped on a phone call and I was like, look, you're not a competitor. So ask away. Like, it's absolutely fine. I'll tell you whatever, whatever it is I do, I'll just tell you because I don't really know what I do, but this is how I do things. Um, so we sat on the phone for, you know, like an hour and a half. And I just kind of went through things and then off the back of it, it was really nice to see like Grayson is a really, really good listener. Like he will ask really good questions and listen to what people say. And then he'll put it into action. What those people have told him, if he finds it valuable, he'll go away and he'll put it into action. And straight away, I noticed, I was like, oh, right. Pure sport are doing all these things that I said would be really good for them to do and how I grow brands. And I noticed it and I'd listen to him on podcasts and he would kind of say the things that I kind of spoke to him about. Obviously he's got heaps of ideas that he comes up with himself because he's actually, I don't think people realize how good Grayson is at his job. He kind of plays this guy that is like the Joker, but he's actually very, very good at his job. Um, and he went away and he kind of put all those things into practice. Um, and then a little while later, probably, 
I can't remember when it was, maybe October, earlier than that, maybe September last year. Um, I met again with him and a guy called Dan who works at Pure Sport as well. And we had another chat and I was like, cool, this is how I do things. Da, 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 da. Went through and they had like loads of questions about ambassadors and ambassador teams and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, cool, this is, this is how I do things. I was very open and honest with them. And I said, look, this is how I think you should do things, how I run the social media, how I run events and stuff like this. And then it was not long after that, um, they just came to me and they said, look, we've been looking for somebody like you to work at Pure Sport, but we can't find anyone. Do you just want to move from Noco to Pure Sport? And it was just very as blunt as that. And I was like, well, I don't know, like I'm in a, I'm, I really enjoy what I do at Noco. I'm in a really good position at Noco. I have no reason to leave. And then it was just, there was too many positives and too many opportunities at Pure Sport that I couldn't say no to. Yeah. So yeah, I, it was like, it was really convers a hard conversation to have. It was like, I was breaking up with a girlfriend. I had to say to like Noco, I was like, look, I've been offered this opportunity at Pure Sport. It's, you know, it's literally taking a brand from pretty much the beginning. Like I know Grayson had done like two years of graft to get it to where it was when I started. Um, and that's probably the, the first, like two years of growing a brand is probably the hardest because, you know, like nobody knows who you are at all. And then you get to a point where there's a threshold where a lot of people know who you are. And now people want to start working with you because you're kind of above that threshold. And he'd grafted for like two years to get it to that point. So like I came in at a really, really good time where the brand was on the way up. Um, whereas when I was at Noco, it was like, you had this like superpower that was, Sweden and Noco had grown to such a monster in Sweden and we were like the little brother of it so I was like you were you were growing a brand in the UK but it was kind of like you were such a small percentage of the total brand um whereas at Pure Sport it was like no no this is like the beginning this it's is not, where probably like Noco were in the beginning at Sweden and that was like you were going to be like the leanness of Pure Sport and then you'd become you know, like you would just, you'd be the face of the brand, you'd grow the brand. It is very different to that analogy, um, but it is, it's, there's a lot of similarities between it as well. Yeah, I, th I think, first of all, just to touch on, um, like, Grayson, he's been a guest in the podcast, and I was so impressed by his knowledge and the minute detail that he understands about CBD for starters, but then also his understanding of how the business has gotten to where it's gotten to at this stage in terms of what it's done. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would, I, would echo, I would echo your comments that um, obviously he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a laugh and a joker, but he's extremely, he's extremely um, intelligent in what, he's, in what he's done so far. But the excitement that you get from moving to a company like Pure Sport is clear. Like you, you can tell the way that you talk about it. You're a very level guy but you can tell your, your, your voice picks up a little bit when you're starting to think about like that kind of glint in your eye that this is what I would like to get involved in because you've seen how, for example, Noco was so large in Sweden and it was the, it was the biggest slice of the pie. It was the, it was the be all and the end all really. Obviously the UK operation wasn't very important, but it was a fraction versus what you were, um, you were looking attacked onto. And ultimately you're going into a business where it is going to be the thing. It, the UK is the base of, of, of pure sport. So that's, that's incredibly exciting. Is there, is there anything in particular you would call out that makes you the most excited about pure sport CBD, particularly after your first few months? Um, the direction they're going. So we, we now just call ourselves pure sport because we have obviously like CBD was 
the original product and it's kind of the the first thing that we ever even thought of like i don't know if grayson explained it on the podcast that he was on like kind of how where it all started and all that kind of stuff but now it's kind of like where they've launched more products so when i first started there was discussions about launching nootropics so i'd been using nootropics for probably six to eight months before i started at pure sport anyway so then when there was chats about oh no we're going to make nootropic products i was like perfect because i'm a big fan of them i've been using them i was a bit like mm, hesitant when i first heard about nootropics because you think it's just like a buzzword but when i first started using them i was like wow these are actually a game changer um and then yeah there's there's a few other things in the pipeline that i'm super passionate about um for instance like in the nootropics we've got things like lion's mane which is uh, a mushroom and i just don't think people really understand yet the benefits of these kind of things like how cbd has affected so many people's lives like the the trust pilot reviews that we have at, at pure sport is incredible it's not just you know like there's products out there and people market products that you know t-shirts or whatever it is they just market it and it's just like something nice to have whereas these products actually benefit people's lives in such a massive way you know people with arthritis can now walk again after their knees were just too painful to like to go on long walks and things like this and that is what really excites me is not only am i really keen to grow a brand because i'm like i just love the idea of a brand and you know what it is and why people buy into brands and this kind of stuff but it's actually a brand that's helping people so for me it's like the best of both worlds it's not just a brand to grow the sake of a brand it's growing a brand that's actually out there to improve people's lives it takes a lot of boxes for you from a a kind of moral mission perspective i know that sounds super heavy but ultimately when we go to bed at night we want to be proud of what we've been been doing during the day and contributing towards so no i think that's that's really really noble you have a hashtag james called always a white belt what it is in your life do you think you apply that in most and i think spoiler out for the listeners you probably answered some of that during this podcast in terms of your ability to look at like what gym chart we're doing or what phd we're doing with their ambassador scheme and you took that into um knock but what other areas do you think you apply being a white belt in um i I mentioned it earlier about you can always learn something from someone someone's always got something that they are more of an expert on than you are um but i would never consider myself an expert in anything like i feel like like i was growing up with sport i was very much like a jack of all trades there was no sport that i didn't get involved in or couldn't play um and i kind of take that into pretty much every area whether it would be you know like business as well like I'm always keen to learn something. Like I'm that guy that will sit and I'll learn and I'll, I don't watch, I don't really watch TV, but I will just sit on YouTube and I will watch things that probably serve no purpose, but I'm just, uh, Chris Williams had said this, he was just curious. And I was like, that's the perfect word. I'm curious. I just want to know stuff. Like, why is this the way it is? And it will go from anything from learning and like trying to figure out um, language and where like the English language comes from and all the, like the Germanic and Latin and Roman and the Nordic languages all kind of like mixing together, all that kind of stuff, all the way up to string theory and stuff like this. And I just sit and I watch stuff like this. So for me, there's so much knowledge out there that you don't know. And a lot of stuff that I learn is probably completely irrelevant. Like it doesn't help me in my day-to-day life, but I just have this like thirst knowledge and i listen to podcasts and i'll read things and i watch youtube and yeah i think that's why it's always a white belt because i can always learn from somebody regardless of what it is i'm interested to know like why do you do what you do 
Like I want to know that. So I think it literally is for anything and everything in life, always a white belt. Well, number one, that's probably why you're going to be enjoying doing the podcast for the Pure Sport podcast. Yeah. Curiosity, like you say, is one of Chris's like values. He did some sort of values test. He'll shake his head for us not knowing what it was, but he spoke about modern wisdom. And it's really interesting that somebody who's such a great host like him has curiosity at the heart because I feel that I'm a curious person, hence why I like to ask questions. I like to hear from other guests. I like to share that with the world. But like you, sometimes you, you do end up down the rabbit hole, don't you, on like different information, consuming stuff. And yeah. it's, again, a lot of similarities to myself where you're saying like, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I would quite happily like consume like a lot of podcasts about a particular topic, even if I'm not going to immediately apply it. A lot of my learning and what I consume is, very intentional but then a lot of it sometimes is just for like a bit of a oh I'd be quite interested to know that and like actually understand it and, and I probably won't even relate to somebody unless somebody brings up something that's that's relevant yeah half the stuff I forget <laughs> I don't think my, my memory is not particularly good but at the time I'm like right I need to know this I need to learn about this um it could be anything you know like I bought a Garmin last year when we were in lockdown, I started running and I had a, a watch and I was like, no, nah, I need a better watch to kind of track all my runs. So I was like, oh, I'll buy a Garmin at the time all the shops were closed. So I couldn't, I couldn't go to the shop and ask anyone. So I just sat for like two weeks and I just watched review after review after review about Garmin. You have anything about Garmin's or smartwatches or like GPS watches. And I, at the time I knew everything. And then I went and bought the one that I was like, this is the right one to buy. And I probably forgotten all that information now, but, I know like top level, I'd be like, right, this is, this is the best one because I chose this particular one at that time. So yeah, I'm that guy that would just go and research anything and everything about one particular topic as well. Um, yeah. From a really intentional point of view, and I think it'd be interesting for me in the audience, how do you learn for that you directly apply within your role in your career? Like, is there any particular sources that you like dive into to be like, right, okay, I want to be an even better marketer? I sit a lot on Instagram, on I do a bit of TikTok now as well, YouTube, and I just watch what other people do. And that's probably the biggest thing because you can watch what people do and you're, you can try and figure out what it is. Why did, why is that being successful? Um, and then I try and dissect that and then try and apply it to what we do. So I, unfortunately I couldn't give you like a book recommendation or a particular Ted talk to go and watch it's an accumulation of years of watching what other people do learning from what they do and the mistakes or the successes that they've had and then tailoring it to what i want to do no i i love that because sometimes you can point somebody towards a book and then they go and read 300 pages but that's a direct action that you're advocating them taking now obviously there's elements where consumption 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 just leads to like i don't know like the black hole that is instagram and your attention ends up sucked down it but as mm -hmm. long if you're viewing it through the lens that you're viewing it where, oh, I'm interested to see what this brand are doing with their reels or their posts or their captions or their stories or their swipe ups or their adverts, whatever it is that you're looking to improve on. If you see somebody doing something really interesting, you're like, okay, we could do a version of that. Obviously put the pure sport twist on it to give it the personality and bring your own personality to it. But yeah, really, really big fan of, of that actionable piece you uh you spoke there about the garmin and, and a bit of running and i think i would love to dive in as a kind of final section with you james about your your 60k run last year for november what on earth oh, yeah. 
brought that about for you? What was the what was the driver behind that? So it was during last year. We obviously, went into like multiple different lockdowns, um, and then we got to the one that was just before. I think it started on like the third of November or something like that. And I don't know if you know Fergus Crawley. So yeah, he he's was been on the podcast as well. He's a great guy. Yeah. So he was. You probably saw his November uh, November challenge that he did last year, the vertical marathon. So when I was at Noco, he was also a Noco ambassador as well. So we were like, look, I want, I can't um, get involved as much as I want to get involved. But what I would like to do is maybe come and support you in person. So it was going to be me and like a handful. There's about six or seven of us of other Noco ambassadors that we're going to travel up and do maybe like two or three ascents with him just to kind of give him a bit of support and just, you know, something to some company along the way. And then obviously we went into lockdown so I was like, oh, I can't actually come up to Scotland to do. I know um, Scott Britton, I think he actually traveled up and did some, like, I think it was on the day of the lockdown. He kind of got back just before it finished, but like to actually make a trip of it, we couldn't have done it. Um, so I was like, okay, what, what can I do to kind of support him um, along whatever it is he was doing? So I went on the November website to, to see... I don't know, just to see what was going on on there. And there was one stat that just jumped out to me immediately. And it said that 60 men kill themselves um, every hour around the world. So a man a minute. And that really like struck accordingly. I was like, shit, I didn't realize it was that many. That is an obscene amount of people that take their own lives. So I know we were going into a lockdown. So I knew that um, the gyms were closing and the weather was not going to be particularly good. So I built my own little home gym, the Longford, and it was great in the summer because it was outdoors, but when it rained, obviously I couldn't use it. So I was like, right, what am I going to do? And in the first lockdown, um, we did a lot of running. Me and my housemate decided to do a lot of running and we started off as like, okay, we'll just do, you know, like 2k or 3k here and there. And then we said, okay, we're going to try and run 30k a week during the first lockdown. And so we do, you know, like a 5k here, a 6k there, and it would accumulate to 30k. And it got to a Sunday during the first lockdown. And I'd only done 12K. My housemate was like, bro, you got to do 18K and it's the last day. And I know if I didn't do it, he wouldn't let me live me down. He would just rinse me for it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to just go out and do 18K. So I went out and then while I was on the run, I Googled, I was like, how far is a half marathon? I can't be far from it. And it was like 21 point something K. So I was like, oh, it's only an extra 3K. So I just carried on the extra 3K, came home, looked at my housemate and was like, just did a half marathon, mate. And he was like, oh shit. So then he had to try and, you know, do more than I was doing. Da, 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 da. So it kind of ramped up during that first lockdown. Bear in mind, none of us, uh, neither of us had done much running in the past. You know, like we both played rugby growing up and stuff like that, but we never really ever went on runs. It was only during the first lockdown. And then as soon as the gyms opened up again, we just stopped. <laughs> we just went back to going back to the gym. To back to what you love. Yeah, Warding. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically that, just doing that, just doing bench and chins. So then, um, when the gyms were closing again, I was like, okay, well, I'll just go back to doing running. I hadn't run for probably, when did it end? Did it start, the gyms open in like June or July or something like that. So it'd been like a fair few months. So I was kind of deconditioned, but I kind of understood the times and things in my head. I knew what kind of kilometer paces I could run and the kind of distances that I could run. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to run a, run a marathon because the furthest I'd run up to that point was a half marathon. I think 24K was the furthest I'd run up to that point. And I thought, oh, I'll run a marathon during this lockdown. Then I saw that stat on the 
Movember website. And then it kind of, the thought just popped into my head. I was like, oh, if you're going to run a marathon, you might as well run 60K because that's the number of men that kill themselves. And it's a significant figure. So I thought, cool, okay. And then I thought, oh, how long is November? Oh, it's 30 days. Then I thought, oh, okay, that's quite a cool thing. If I say naught to 60 in 30 days, and I was like, that's a cool like little line. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. So yeah, then I said, right, I've got 30 days. It was technically less because I started on maybe the third, but yeah. That's just yeah. The marketing headline had to work for you, James. Otherwise, you'd be, you then you wouldn't be you wouldn't be working in the industry. You would be in otherwise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then I was like, right, I've got thirty days. I need to run sixty kilometers on the thirtieth day. How am I going to plan this out? I have no experience in training programs for running. So I thought, okay. So I messaged a lad called Brad Welch, who I didn't realize until the first lockdown is actually a phenomenal ultra marathon runner. Like I had no idea. And when he sent me his times of like, oh, this is my 10K time. It was like 40 minutes, just over 40 minutes. It was way faster than mine. And then he was like, oh, I ran it at 5.30 in the morning as well. I was like, wow, you're actually a phenomenal runner. And 10K is not even his distance. He does ultra marathons. So I messaged him and said, I've got this idea. I'm going to do this. What do you think? He was like, you're a bit stupid, but like it's doable. He's like, physically, I think you're capable of doing it. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll do it. So then I mapped out this plan for the month of like ramping up the distances that I was going to do, sent it to him and say, what do you think of this? And he made a few alterations in terms of like, okay, on this particular run, I think you should do um, these kind of time pieces within the run and all this kind of stuff. But he said, overall, he, th he thinks the plan was pretty good. So I was like, cool. And I just went on with it. Um, yeah, just gradually like ramped up the distances I was going and I was very conscious of doing it. I'm not very good at like talking to the camera on Instagram like talking to my story. I don't do it very often, but I thought, well, the whole purpose of me doing this is to raise some money and to raise some awareness for that one stat that jumped out to me so much at the very beginning. So I thought, right, I'm going to try and like document this as I do it to try and build some awareness. It was more about building awareness than it was about um, raising money because, you know, the, the, the money that I raise in the grand scheme of things isn't an awful lot, but it was kind of the awareness of that stat that I wanted to really draw some attention to. So I kind of documented as I went and being like, okay, I've done this distance. I've done this distance. I've done this time. These are what I'm doing. Da, 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 da. And then over the course of the month, um, it just went up and up and up. And then I got to like 35 K as my last training run. And then I woke up the following day. I actually woke up in the night of that one and I couldn't walk. Something had happened to my foot and I was like, I cannot put any weight on it. So I had a week before my 60 K where I basically couldn't walk. And I was like, I, I couldn't do anything. I did a few bits on the C2 bike just to kind of keep my legs ticking over and kind of keep myself relatively fit. But that week leading into it, I was like in, in a really, really bad way. And then I thought right on the day, I've just got to just do it. So yeah, just went out on the morning, had a route planned. It was just coincidence that where I lived, the route that I would normally run, it figured that it was um, the exact distance of a half marathon would take me onto a particular straight through the park that I ran through. So I did two laps of that and then altered the, the route on the last one. So it was just like an extra 18 K for the last one. Yeah. And then just cracked on and just, yeah, did the 60 K. What role does the mind versus the body play in this? Cause when I spoke to Fergus, so much of it goes on inside his head, but equally you weren't somebody that had run 60k before so it's not as if your body probably knew that and your mind certainly didn't either so what was the kind of the conflicting battle between the two of those during that kind of challenge i think through 
the, the sports that I did. So like I, what I didn't mention earlier is that when I was at school, I rode and I rode at a reasonable level, you know, like we were semi-finalists at Henley. We were like, we came third at national championships, you know, like we were a pretty good, like I was the, probably the worst one in the boat. I was the shortest one by quite a lot because they were all just like these giants and I didn't really row. I played rugby and I was just like the next best one basically to go in the boat. There was probably the next, yeah, they only had like seven good rowers and then me. So when I rowed, that was such a mental thing because you're in a boat with everyone else. You cannot stop regardless of how exhausted you are. You cannot stop because if you stop, it fucks up the boat for everybody else. So, um, I knew that mentally and the lad that I did the 35k with and the lad that did the marathon during the 60k was one of the lads that was in my boat at school. He's like one of my best friends growing up. Um, and I thought there's no better person to do this with than him because we've been through some savage, like really, really savage sessions together growing up at school. So I was like, there's no better person who could do this than him. And we ran at like pretty much the same pace as well. Um, so for me, I knew that I'd done everything during that month to prepare myself for it, whether or not it was the most optimal plan, you know, that's up for argument. You know, someone could come like a proper coach could come and look at that plan and be like, this is a terrible plan. I don't know why you've ran this particular way or done these distances, but in my head, I said, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and that's going to prepare me for the 60 K. So I knew that um, on the day at 60 K, all I had to do was get it done. And I'd done everything that I knew that I was supposed to do to get me to that point so that I was prepared and ready. And then on the day, it was just like, just get it done. There was no, I didn't think about it. I was just like, right, you've got 60 K to run, get it done. I did have a, a time in my head that I wanted to do it in. And I think I scraped in by two minutes. Yeah. I, I wanted to do it in six hours. I said, oh, roughly between five and six hours. And I did it at like five fifty eight. So like I was, and I was looking at my watch the whole time being like, am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? Um, but yeah, like it was really weird because on some of my training runs, I felt absolutely horrendous. So for instance, there was like a 22 K run that I planned in for myself. And I think at like the 15 K mark, I was done. Like I was physically tapped out, mentally tapped out. I was like, I'm not doing any more, but in my head, I was like, do not stop. You said you were going to do 22 K. So do 22 K regardless of how you feel. And I felt horrendous. So 7K, when you feel like that is a long time, when you just want to stop at every single step, you just want to stop. It is really, really tough. And there was a few runs like that, like the 35K um, that we did. Before we did the 35K, I messaged my friend in the morning and said, do you want to just run a marathon? Because it's only an extra like 7K. After you've done 35K, it's only an extra 7K. And I remember doing it and we got to 35K and we both looked at each other and we were like, we need to stop. Like I am done. I am finished. Like I'm in a world of pain right now. I cannot stop. Um, no, I have to stop. And then when I got to the 60 K, it wasn't until probably 48, 50 K that my mind started to be like, this is tough. If anything, between like 30 K and 48 K, my splits were getting faster. I was actually speeding up, which is bizarre considering the previous week I did 35 K and I tapped out and was like, I'm done. I can't do the extra seven K. So I think it's very much a mental thing. Um, there's obviously a physical aspect to it, but I was like, in your head, you said you're going to do this particular distance. And then as it gets towards that distance, your brain's like, Oh, you're nearly there. I'm going to test you and see if how much you've got, see if you can actually push through to the final thing. So for me, I think it was more mental than anything. Yeah. It's very, very interesting how, like you say, that's it is bizarre that your splits were getting faster 
in a distance where the previous week your body was screaming saying what are you doing james hit the stop button yeah. but yeah, that that, exactly. that probably does point to uh probably a mix of adrenaline mentality all sorts of different things yeah i think we were so i was accompanied by um so my friend charles he did the marathon so the first two laps with me um grayson and will googe actually joined me for the middle loop as well which was great um, I wasn't even working at Pure Sport at the time. They just said, look, we just want to come and support you, which was, which was great to have them with me. But in hindsight, looking back, Will came for that jog, but in the grand scheme of things, that is such a small run for him doing a half marathon. He just goes for marathons on a weekend for fun. Like it's madness how much he runs, but he just loves running. And then actually Brad Welch came and joined me for the final 18K. So everyone dropped off at that point. And then he joined me for that final 18K. And it wasn't, like he was really, really helpful just having him there because I don't think if he was there, I would have carried on. It was just having someone there that I was kind of accountable to as well. Um, my dad did join me on his bike the whole way as well. And me and my dad are very similar and I don't need him to be like, to G me up or being like, go on, mate, you've got this. I just need him to be there. And, you know, like he came up to me at one point and he just basically said, he was like, your foot's really hurting, isn't you? And I was like, yeah, I <laughs> made a little laugh. And that was it. That's all I needed basically from him. I didn't need, I just needed him to come up, like take the piss out of me a little bit. I don't need him to like be this super encouraging guy. Cause that's not our relationship and it's not what I need. Um, he's, that's not the type of person he is and it's not the type of person I am. So yeah, just having like those people there around me as well. I didn't need them to say anything. I didn't need them to do anything. I just needed them there. If you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I can, I can really understand that James. I think last or second last question for you is what are some of the lessons that you've learned from your fitness over the years? I know before we hit record, you and I were talking about how much functional fitness has kind of built a community and a tribe for you. What else mm-hmm. have you learned over the years? Um, the, like, every, like as long as you're enjoying what you're doing, it doesn't matter if it's optimal or not. Like, for me, that's, that's the most crucial thing. Like, I don't understand these people that say to me, they're like, Oh, I hate going to the gym. It's like, well, why are you going to the gym then go and do something else. That's, you know, that you'll actually enjoy doing. Um, I, I find it very hard to understand how people don't enjoy doing exercise. There's a lot of people that I know that, you know, they just don't like doing exercise and I don't understand it because people do exercise and they get this like endorphin release. Um, but maybe they just don't get as much of it as, as I do, but, um, how to answer that question better so i think well in terms of what we were talking about before why do you think functional fitness has grown so much as a movement in the in the uk in recent years like that element of like going through something together like how important is that oh okay so yeah it's the little wins that people get that i absolutely love to see and it's something that like we've been quite open about doing a pure sport recently is inviting people into this kind of the, the pure sport fitness club and bringing people together. So there's that whole community side of things where people come in, they have the shared suffering where they go through something together, whether it's like a hard workout or something like that, it doesn't sound like they've been through something as in like, they haven't been through like a traumatic experience, but they kind of have like some workouts can be quite traumatic and you, you know, you put yourself in a dark place And then you've been through that together and you both understand. And then they have a conversation about it afterwards. And I love 
when people like I listen to it all the time, especially like since I've been at pure sport, there's a lot of people that are new to this functional fitness thing and we get them involved in these workouts and they go through them together. And then I listen to them afterwards and they're like, Oh, you know, when I was doing this particular thing, I thought I was going to die in this. And they were like, Oh yeah. When I was doing this one, I literally thought I was going to like just keel over at any minute. And I love like listening to people like, like having that conversation for the first time and they really like buy into the whole functional fitness thing. Um, Plus there's also these like these little wins that everybody gets. And I also love listening to people. It doesn't matter like what it is. Someone could, you know, do their first pull up or they could lift 60 kilos for the first time, or, you know, they could lift 250 kilos for the first time. Everyone's on their own little journey of these little wins. Whereas I feel like when you're doing bodybuilding or you're doing it for an aesthetic, you're every time you come in, it's kind of like, oof, do I look better? Do I not look better? Or you probably had a bad meal yesterday, so you're probably a bit more puffy. You didn't sleep very well. You haven't drunk enough water. There's all these little things. And it's very much just like you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're judging yourself. And it's this never-ending goal of trying to make yourself look better. Whereas I think what functional fitness is, is every time you go to the gym, chances are, if you're doing things the correct way, you're going to get slightly better at something, regardless of what it is, whether it's, you could still be lifting the same amount of weight, but it might feel slightly easier or your technique was slightly more dialed in or you did something you didn't think you could do. You could do, you did a handstand push-up. You never thought you'd be able to do that. And it's every time you go, you get these little wins. And I think that's why functional fitness is really starting to grow or has grown as much as it has is like you get all these little wins and then people can relate to it. And you're like, oh, people like to applaud other people's successes. And if someone says, oh, today, you know, like I PB'd my 500 meter row, everyone gives them a high five. And it's just like that real community aspect of everyone's kind of out to help each other. Yeah, I love that element of shared suffering. And that's something that I only recently got in the last 18 months. I was saying to you before we were recording, like training at that garage gym during the lockdown period, we would both do the same wad or three or four of us would do the same wad. And like you say, you would have a chat afterwards, like, oh, that 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 the 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 21 thrusters at that point was absolutely murdering me like how did you find that or oh no for me it was the ski and it's it's amazing yeah. to have that conversation whereas like you say if me and my mate are training push oh that set of bench was really hard but they they were fine on it this week so it's 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 it's, it's yeah, yeah. so so different and from that perspective and i think that's why like you say people are finding like community and connection through it and then um, I'm, I'm certainly an advocate of including that within 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 your week now as well but James yeah. you, I, I did promise you you'd be interested and I promised I'd enjoy talking to you so uh, hopefully you, you hopefully you feel that way but for those that have those that agree with me and they think they've uh, enjoyed listening to you where should they head towards to hear a little bit more from you James? I think I already do things on Instagram at the moment so my Instagram is just my name at James Dollar um, quite easy to find because I think there only is one person with that name so it's quite easy um but yeah if you want to have a conversation with me and i'll bore you with some of these yarns again you can contact me on on instagram but uh yeah that's probably the best place that'll be linked in the show notes below if you're new here make sure you've hit the subscribe button guys and if you're listening to this on apple Podcasts and really enjoying it please hit the five star and leave a written review it helps us to reach more and more people with Campbell conversations and i'll be back to speak to you all again very very soon